the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to begin chapter 9 of the book of Romans. I want to give you a quick overview of where we've been and where we're going because it all kind of works together. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul wrote about sin. He wrote about the role that the law played in revealing sin. He wrote about the need for salvation. Also about sin being man's birthright through Adam. And then in chapters 3 through 5, we looked at salvation. We looked at God's grace, justification, and righteousness in Christ through the new birth. And then in chapter 6 and 8, we studied sanctification and the expanding revelation of the completed work of Christ through faith and obedience. Do you know that you're sanctified? We religious folks have made that a hard, arduous journey that if we don't keep right on track, we lose. But the reality of it is that you are sanctified. You have been made righteous in Christ. All sanctification is in terms of a progressive work is the expansion of you literally growing into the completed work of Christ. It is you literally being able to apprehend what God has already done in you. It's not you attaining It's you living it out. You know, we resent so much of what God puts in our lives, particularly those things that are painful and difficult. But it's typically those things that give us the greatest expansion of understanding of who God is. So sanctification for us sometimes can be a rough road. But it is not the sanctification itself. It is the literally the holding on of our personal perceptions, the holding on to the baggage of the past, the holding on of how we used to make it happen, how we used to live, rather than allowing ourselves to expand in what God has already done. You see, we're the ones that make that road rough. We're the ones that make that road difficult. Now, as we finish chapter 8, we're going into chapters 9 through 11. And in those chapters, Paul has written about the sovereignty of God in saving the Jew and the Gentile and the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises concerning the Jew and the Gentile. Now, 
Some commentators treat these next three chapters as an interruption. Often they don't give very much insight concerning their purpose. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing here that doesn't have purpose. There's nothing here that is random. And part of what God has put together, he has put together in complete and perfect order. There is reason for chapters 9 through 11 to come after chapter 8. We're going to talk about that. As we finish chapter 8, where the Holy Spirit, through Paul, went to great lengths to assure us of our security and Christ and the Father's love for us, we're going to talk about Father's sovereignty and election, which for a lot of people shakes their sense of security in God. We're going to talk about Israel's position in the end times or in in the present day, their position in their acceptance and their rejection of the Messiah. As believers, we have been created, born again to dwell in his presence. We learned that in chapter 8. To be loved and to be the very expression of the Father's love. As believers, we are joint heirs with Christ. In the same way the Son was literally the manifestation of the Father, we have been born and created to be the manifestation of the Son. Paul makes it very clear at the end of chapter 8 that we can never be separated from his love or his life because he is our life. We are eternally secure and destined to live in his favor and blessings for eternity. Now, nothing can change that. So I finished up last week, we talked about that. In order to change that, you would have to undo the work of God. You would have to undo the creation of God. Now, at the end of all of that great assurance in chapter 8, Paul begins to write about the Jew and the nation of Israel's overt rejection of the Messiah. The question is, why there and why then? But first we must remember that the gospel came to the Jew first. Now, as we go down this road, it's going to seem a little academic. But in reality, what I want you to hear is the Father's heart. Because sometimes we get so caught up in what God is doing to man that we miss the picture of the Father's heart towards man. Or in this case, what God is doing in Israel, and we miss the Father's heart for Israel. You see, all that God does throughout our lives and through the lives of these people and and what is demonstrated in the Word of God, in fact, that word is used over and over again. We just talked about it. He demonstrated. He manifested. He revealed. He showed. You see, if you go through the, the Word of God and look at how many times you see God in His purpose seeking to reveal Himself to man you would literally underline most of the Bible. Jesus was God's revelation of the Father's heart for man. Over and over again, he does this. Now, why is it important to know that? Because when you begin to see God's election, when you begin to see God's sovereignty in certain things, this begins to be questioned. Why did he treat them this way? Why did he do this this way? Why did he, he approach them this way? I want to tell you that his purpose in that was to reveal his heart, to reveal his character, to reveal who he is. And why would he bother to do that? Because of his love for us. 
As we begin in this chapter, one of the things we need to remember as Paul begins to write about the Jews is that the gospel came to the Jew first. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We know from the book of Acts that the early church began with the Jews. In fact, most of the early churches were predominantly Jews. Uh, Most of the early Christians were predominantly Jews. And Paul, who is writing this, is himself a Jew and calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, in Paul's teaching against the law, and you'll remember as we went through this in the first part of Romans, in Paul's teaching against the law, he makes it clear that the nation of Israel had rejected God's Messiah and was seeking to be made righteous through the law of Moses and through their lineage in Abraham. They were seeking another route to declare themselves as righteous before God. Now, let's ask some questions that Paul might encounter as he began this teaching, as he ends in chapter 8. What are some of the questions that might be out there? Because you need to remember that they, they lived amongst the Jews, that this gospel came from the Jews, that literally was presented to them first, that, that this God is the God of the Jews. You cannot extract where God came from. You cannot take away the heritage that the Jewish people had in their belief in God and say, okay, now he's the God of the Gentiles and totally dismissed what God has done in the Jews. And here's the thing. As we begin to talk about how God has offered himself to the Gentiles and that there are the Jew and the Gentile are the same and that there is a new covenant, as we begin to talk about these things, put yourself in the place of that little congregation way back when. As they're reading these things. Put yourself in the place that these mostly are Gentiles now. Most of the Jews have begun to fall away. The church is no longer growing in the Jewish community. It's growing in the Gentile community. And so these Gentiles will begin to say to themselves, well, what of the Jew? What about them? What does this say about them? Well, let's ask some of the questions that they might have asked. One of them is God set aside his people Israel. Does this mean that they will have no portion in God's salvation, God's kingdom? Is justification by grace through faith for the Gentiles only? Has God's chosen people been counted as a rejected nation and their portion given to the Gentiles? Can you see why they might ask those questions? And here is the final one. If God could reject the Jew and void his promises of a kingdom and salvation, what security is there for any people? That's a big question. And I got to tell you, I don't count myself as a theologian, but even before I started any intense study of the word of God, that question came to my mind. Did it come to yours? Through this discussion of God's dealing with Israel, Paul is going to show that God is faithful in fulfilling his promises to Israel and will be equally faithful concerning his promises in the new covenant. Now, just a side note. We know God through faith first. We grow in our relationship with him as he reveals himself to us. Now, 
There are things about God that we do not have the capacity to grasp with our minds, but we know with our hearts. There have been times people have asked me questions about questioning God's love or God's mercy. And I knew the truth of my God's character. While I couldn't, I couldn't address the situation, I could address the truth of what I knew about God's character, about his faithfulness. When it comes to the sovereignty of God and the doctrine of election, we must rest in the character of God. Have you heard that before? Literally. You know, I think it was Steve McVeigh that made the comment when his son was critically injured in a fall. He uh, pulled into the hospital parking lot with his wife. And before they got out of the car, they rushed to the hospital. Before they got out of the car, he reached over and grabbed her hand and looked at her and said, before we go in there, let us agree together that God is good. And you know what? There are things in this life that we cannot, we cannot answer with our mind or with our emotions, but we know in our heart the truth of our God. And I, I, I really believe that even, the, even Paul himself could look out upon the horizon of his, of his society and say there are many things I don't understand why God allows this. I don't understand why God lets this happen. I don't understand why I go through what I go through. I don't know why it has to be so difficult. And he probably came back to this truth. I'm going to hold to the character of my God. I don't understand, but you know what? Abraham went and he knew not, and that's where I am. I live this life by faith, says Paul. You live this life by faith, says you. Well, what does that mean? That means that I can't always understand. That I won't always know. That it won't always make sense. As Christians, we're bound to face hard circumstances that call into question God's love and mercy. But we must, by faith, rest in the God we know by faith. As we look at the verses today in uh, Romans chapter 9, I want you to see the Father's heart. That's really what I want you to catch out of these verses. I want you to understand what Father tries to reveal about himself through all that he's done through the nation of Israel. Let's look at Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul begins and he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience enlightened and prompted by the Holy Spirit bearing witness with me. You know what that kind of reminds me of the saying I hear a lot of young people say nowadays, I can't lie, I'm not going to lie. Such and such happens, I'm not going to lie. This is this, I'm not going to lie. Have you heard that? Hear people say that? I'm not going to lie. Well, I don't like that saying because there's a presumption that you would normally. But it's kind of what Paul is saying. He's actually swearing an oath there. He says, I am not lying. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness with me that I'm telling the truth. And what he is saying is that look at the origin of the words that I'm going to speak. They're not based in the flesh. They're based in Christ. It's important for you to know this so that you don't confuse what Paul's about to say with human sympathies. He wants you to hear the heart of Christ in what he is saying. Then he goes to verse 2 and he says, That I have bitter grief and incessant anguish in my heart. And the Greek word that he uses there 
For grief is a word that describes a pain that could be inflicted between two loved ones. It's an intimate pain. It's a relational pain. It's, it might even be, to dis, be uh, used to describe someone who discovers his spouse has been unfaithful. It's that kind of grief, that kind of pain. And what Paul's grief is, it is a reflection of the Father's heart concerning his people. It's a selfless love that looks to the pain of the other. Now understand this, that this pain and this grief that these people are experiencing is self-inflicted. It's not God-inflicted, it's self-inflicted. Was it important for you to know that? Oh, absolutely, because I want to tell you right now, 99.9% of the pain you feel is self-inflicted. It has to do with your perceptions. It has to do with your view of God. It has to do with all manner of things. God looks at the pain. And he doesn't do what some of us would do. Well, there you go. Reject God, what do you expect? You made your bed, lie in it. Enjoy. You see the grief of God's heart there. He's not looking at what they've inflicted upon themselves. He's not looking at the stubborn, rebellious uh, animosity that's going on there towards him. He's looking at the pain that they're inflicting upon themselves through their rebellion, through their stubbornness. Because remember who God is. Remember who God is. He wants them to embrace Him because it would be their salvation. He wants them to love Him because they were made that way. He wants them to be obedient to His truth because then in that obedience they would recognize Him. They would know Him. This is not about God having a people to do exactly His bidding. This is about God wanting what is best for them. And He is grieving because they refuse to do so. Whenever you fail, you see your own grief and anxiety. And you see, if you're listening to the enemy, you see God's disgust and anger. I want you to know that the enemy has defined the grief of your heart wrongly. When you fail and sin. Don't own it. You heard the expression people say. I feel your pain. Listen when you sin. You feel the grief of your Lord. You do. When you sin. You feel the grief of the spirit of God. That's not because you're not redeemed. That's not because Christ didn't take it to the cross. That's not because of any other reason than my God does not like to see me suffer even in this temporal world with the things that he has already delivered me from. He doesn't want me to walk around in self-imposed shackles. And that's exactly what the Jewish people were doing. He came to set the captives free. He says, I have grief and incessant anguish in my heart and Paul's grief is a reflection of the father and as we have seen this pain and separation that Israel has inflicted in itself now look at Romans 5 8 it spells it out but God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners 
Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. God's love is not based on anything other than himself. God's love, God loves because he is love. He regrieves over your pain regardless of its origin. Now, Paul's grief here, and this is an important distinction, is not extended towards those Jews like himself who have embraced Christ. Paul's grief, or the Father's grief, is towards those who, as a corporate body or a nation of Israel, had wholly rejected Christ as the Messiah. That's what that grief is reflected towards. Now, Romans 9.3. This is Paul again saying, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off and banished from Christ for the sake of my brethren, and instead of them, my natural kinsmen and my fellow countrymen. Now, look at that verse. Do you see his desire for substitution? If you don't see Jesus in that, I'm... You better have your prescription checked. This is not human passion. This is not human devotion. This is Paul writing of the love and passion that God has for Israel. And you see in this that God is not trading rejection for rejection, which we are prone to do. He is not not trading bitterness for bitterness, which we are prone to do. He is not trading the best of men for the worst of men. What he is literally doing is he is extending the fullness of his love towards those who have rejected him. And Paul says in the midst of that rejection, he has the heart of Christ, for it was Christ who substituted himself for us that we might be saved. Paul says, I would gladly surrender myself in their place. Whose heart is that? God is declaring through Paul what Christ has already done. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse, doom of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scripture, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, is crucified. Now, Paul wishes himself to be accursed, For the sake of his brethren, his kinsmen, and Christ became a curse for our sake. Now, Paul knows this is impossible. He just finished up Romans 8 by saying there is no chance of separation. There's nothing that can separate us. But he longs for that blessing that he has. He longs for the salvation that is his. He longs for all the fellowship and union that he has with Christ for his fellow men. You see, Paul was the Jew of Jews. He has a, he has a kinsmanship with them. He has a relationship with them. And he sees their deep need. Here's an interesting thing. You don't know you need Jesus until you need Jesus. And there are holes in your life still need to be filled with the truth of his life and his grace towards you. And that's part of that expansion, that revelation that we were talking about. That, that place where God brings you along through sanctification. You see, every time in the process of life that we fall and find ourselves injured, we get up and find that there was a hole there that needed to be filled with the truth of God. That we tripped over. Now, Paul, when he came to the Lord, he saw all of the holes. 
And a flood of the grace of God, the abundance of Christ, the truth of his new creation, the reality of God's love and acceptance, all flooded in upon him. And he immediately saw the needs of his brethren because they are working so hard to fill those holes with man-made filler that doesn't work. This is the truth of it. That God has a plan to fill every hole in you. And what is that hole for? It's for you to recognize that you have been made complete and full in Him. It's for Him to balance your life in. Let me tell you something. Pain is necessary for balance. I just, there's so many things in my life that I didn't recognize were out of balance until I experienced a trial or a pain. It really brings faith home, doesn't it? We don't think about how man-centered we are until we realize how desperate we are for Him, how desperate we need Him. I don't want to say desperate for Him. Some of you might get the idea that He's left, but He hasn't. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.